Hello, and welcome to Meet the Leader, a podcast where the world's top leaders tell us how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today, our leader is Netta Korn, the founder of nonprofit The Hexa Foundation, and she'll explain how blockchain can be leveraged for the greater good. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and please take a moment to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum, and this is Meet the Leader. What I saw in blockchain and what I saw um, in cryptocurrencies is something that had the potential to affect the lives of billions. Netta Korn is the co-founder of Orbs, a blockchain startup in Israel, and the founder of the Hexa Foundation, a group that uses blockchain to tackle big problems like preventing waste and foreign aid or ridding the internet of illegal sexual imagery. What's remarkable about Netta is that she doesn't have a traditional tech background and was first exposed to blockchain just three years ago. But she did know something about pivoting. She's worked as an investment banker in Lehman Brothers and in Israel's Ministry of Defense. She once even opened a cafe where all the profits went to charity. These moves were motivated by one idea, to find work that had more soul. I, I don't really like stagnation, but more importantly, um, I, I want to be a part of something that's bigger than myself. These moves had another benefit, giving her special window into finance and philanthropy, preparing her to deploy blockchain today to solve real problems. She'll tell us more about how she's using blockchain for the greater good, and she'll also explain the importance of patience in her work and how she looks for doers to help her push projects forward. But first, she'll walk us through what blockchain actually is. In simplest terms, blockchain is a shared, immutable, decentralized database. What does that mean? It means that it's a database that everybody can see, nobody owns, everybody has an equal share in it. And being immutable means that you cannot edit or delete information. You can only add new information. And any addition needs to be agreed upon by consensus of the people who are sharing in the database or the agents that are sharing in the database. So databases have been around, even shared databases have been around for years, right? What's the innovation? The innovation is the fact that this is decentralized and immutable. So in essence, it creates a form of digital trust. You don't need to rely on any agent that's holding that database to do the right thing because it's transparent and you can see it and so it enables a sense of, uh, of trust in anyone who's working on it to know that what they're seeing is uh, a true snapshot of what is actually happening. When you learned about blockchain, you felt like you could change the world. What was it about blockchain that made you want to change your life? Before co-founding Orbs, I was working as an advisor in uh, the Ministry of Defense. And on one of my uh, trips to the border of Gaza, I had a meeting with uh, the World Food Program and had learned about their Building Blocks project in Jordan. And this was uh, a pilot project that they had done to feed 100,000 undocumented Syrian refugees who had arrived in Jordan. And it was really my first exposure to blockchain. I left the meeting, I started looking into it, and I thought, wow, this is amazing because, uh, you know, I, I worked on Wall Street in the past. I was a private donor. I worked in government trying to do various foreign aid projects. And so all that kind of imprinted in me the importance of following the money trail. And here was a pilot which enabled the World Food 
program to save a significant amount of money, not only on transfer costs, but even more important than that, know exactly where the money was going, to which individual, who were they feeding with, with those dollars that they were transferring over. And I thought, well, this can be a complete game changer. This can change foreign aid. This can change, you know, private donations. This is going to change the world. I, I don't really like stagnation, but more importantly, um, I, I want to be a part of something that's bigger than myself. And I think that's what drove me to government work as well, to make real, huge, impactful change across um, millions uh, or hopefully billions of people, then you need to be a part of government for that. And what I saw in blockchain and what I saw um, in cryptocurrencies is something that very few people had understood um, or, um, or, or delved into yet, but had the potential to affect the lives of billions. What was the process for you to go from someone who didn't really know about blockchain to someone who was going to use it to solve big problems and uh, start a business and start a foundation? What was it like to get trained and prepared? It was humbling, I have to tell you. I've made a lot of career transitions in my life. So each one of those, you know, kind of jumps or transitions is humbling because you're starting knowing nothing, but all of those experiences, all the past experiences, I, I kind of brought them along and was able to make something new, right? Was able to, even though I didn't specifically understand the technology when I came into it, I had enough business and finance experience that I couldn't understand what to do with it or bring innovative ideas as to what to do with it and say, hey, can we use blockchain for this? I know this is a problem. And, you know, a lot of times the answer was like, no, that we can't use blockchain for that. But in the few times that the answer was yes, you know, those are the most interesting case studies because I bring along real world experience. How did you how did you navigate that that process of having to sort of build back knowledge from kind of zero in a way? Well, I read a lot, obviously. I listened in and really trial and error. You know, if I was to, to come with no tech experience into an industry, this would be the one to do it because it was quite new. And, you know, people who were in it really only had a year or so lead over me. There were these grandiose ideas back then. And so kind of together with the industry, I wisened up and understood now, OK, we're not going to press a button and, and foreign aid is going to be completely transparent for all. Like we're, this is going to be a process and it's going to take a long time to adopt. And some solutions will be much better served if they use a centralized solution rather than a decentralized one. But going through that learning process really helped me narrow in and focus in on, on where to implement this technology. So the Orbs and Hexa Foundation, there's a few sort of innovative ways that you're implementing blockchain. Can you go through the, the ways that, uh, that you're using blockchain to solve big problems? This past uh, year, we had the wonderful opportunity to work with one of the world's uh, largest development banks. And we actually prototyped for them a way to track their loans to various countries. The World Bank came out with a study saying that they had at least uh, seven and a half percent of leakage of their loans. And, and that's probably a very low balling number, meaning that, you know, they loan out to countries and then the president's son can buy a Lamborghini instead of putting that towards a project that they needed. And so we had the opportunity to work with one of these banks and show them how to implement the technology to really trace where the money is going. 
Another way, which is really a, a passion project of mine, is working with law enforcement to educate them on how to use blockchain to coordinate and collaborate their activities amongst global law enforcement agencies in order to reduce the proliferation of child sexual exploitation from the internet. So, you know, we're at the beginning of that one, but it's absolutely perfect use case for blockchain and I, I foresee great things happening with it. Tell me about how that works to sort of help limit the uh, proliferation of uh, child exploitation images. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the problem, right? Cloud platforms, social media platforms, they all have a significant amount, some tens of millions of images that law enforcement knows are illegal and banned. Now, cloud platforms are averse to doing really anything about this, claiming uh privacy concerns of individuals. And law enforcement is a bit powerless because it's on the internet. So jurisdiction is where? And so when I first started tackling this problem and, and brought it to our team, okay, you know, how, how can we use the technology? I was very happy to discover that in 2009, Microsoft together with Dartmouth College created a technology called PhotoDNA. And this technology basically enables a photograph or document, whatever, to be turned into a digital fingerprint, a hash, a, a, a kind of an, a number or a code that represents the image itself. And no matter what you do to the image, you know, crop it, taint it, etc., that hash, that digital fingerprint will still be identifiable. And so I was happy to learn that many law enforcement agencies already use this photo DNA. And blockchain, remember how I said, what is what is the perfect use case for this technology? It's enabling agents to work together without one owning the database. It's not very frequently that you run into a use case that you're like, you know what, this is a much better solution than a centralized solution. And uh, it was just, it was really exciting. And so in issues like this, when you want, let's say, a global database, it's really, really useful to say nobody owns it. There's no politics here, right? You all share it and you all know that whatever is on this database is going to be true. No one is going to be able to manipulate this data, edit, change it, whatever. Our proposal was, well, let's have law enforcement each one with their own database of photo DNA, collaborate and create a global database of all these digital fingerprints. So we know that on that global database, all those photos are banned and illegal. Every single one, you know, is a criminal offense. And now we give the cloud platforms, social media sites, read-only access to that collaborative database and Anytime somebody tries to upload a photo, it gets checked in to see whether or not it's on that database of banned photos. And if it pings back that it is, it doesn't get uploaded. So in essence, you're not violating anybody's privacy. You're not specifically looking at their photos. You're just checking to see whether or not digital fingerprints match. And if they match, you know that person is committing crime. 
then it's much easier to take the step. And depending upon what country you are in or what jurisdiction you're in, then it's much easier to take the next step for law enforcement or for cloud platforms to decide on what are we going to do. And so in essence, the beauty of the solution is we're not inventing a new technology, right? You know, Microsoft, Dartmouth College, they came up with this technology in 2009. All I'm doing is offering the world a seamless way to share it. Blockchain is powerful, but it can't solve for bad actors or bad information or even human corruption. Can you talk a little bit about that? People will always find a way of doing bad things. So there is not going to be one holistic solution to clean the internet of destructive imagery. And people who use the dark net um, are one step ahead of law enforcement. For the normal everyday internet user, we can absolutely remove these images. And that's our goal. It cannot, um, it cannot solve the problem of corruption, right? But it can make it much harder uh, for people to um, manipulate data or, or uh, change processes. It can make it harder to cheat. It can't make it impossible. So those are the limitations. There's probably a number of different ways that this technology could be leveraged for, for law enforcement. What motivates you specifically to help children and to uh, eliminate these, these images? Well, first of all, I have children. And I think, you know, ra- raising kids in this kind of environment where technology is prevalent, and especially now when uh, during COVID, they're on screens all day long. And, and I'm trying to work, you know, simultaneously. So you can't watch them 100% of the time. And happily, my, my kids are young. But, you know, for older kids, that amount of time online is dangerous. And, you know, and kids can make mistakes. Kids can get manipulated by people, upload photos of themselves, or, or they can actually be significantly harmed by someone who intentionally harms them. Now, once that photo is on the Internet, it's not going away ever, ever. It's not going away. And that damage, that emotional scarring is continuous. And so I was driven by the desire to help these victims. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like going down the rabbit hole. The more you the more you read about this, first of all, the less you sleep at night, um, especially having young kids. Um, but also the more passion I have towards actually making the solution become a reality. What sort of surprised you about this work so far? Despite the fact that I had uh, a government background and so I understood bureaucracy and lengths of process, these organizations are behemoths that um, take a long time to move and to implement change and also have very little budgeting. So, you know, when you present them with something that you know is going to help, right? And they love the idea. It still takes a long time for the needle to move even a little bit. But again, you know, if if you believe in something, then you have to just focus on multiple years forward and, and understand that, you know, the first few uh, months, maybe even year, are going to be explaining and explaining again, talking again and showing again. Do you think that the COVID crisis has helped governments see a new potential in blockchain that they might not have seen as quickly otherwise? I, I do think uh, the COVID uh, pandemic has done has has done something uh, to governments and to organizations 
one, because think about it, you know, if you used to be able to uh, fly um, to Africa and, and check out your projects um, and now you're, you can't anymore, then having a, a tool um, that helps you do the due diligence in a more efficient manner kind of makes sense right now to invest in. Um, so um, I, I think good will come out of um, uh, the fact that organizations are having a hard time raising money and need to offer uh, transparency as uh, as one of their kind of uh, convincing saving graces to get funded. Um, so I don't think we're going to stagnate. Uh, I think the world is in motion to change. And what are the immediate applications with the COVID crisis where blockchain can really make a difference? You know, countries need to work together more to share information more. And uh, blockchain allows for um, a decentralized manner to do that, uh, where nobody would own the data and everybody can trust it. Um, you know, so if you're talking about medical data uh, for COVID immunity, um, uh, inoculations, um, if you're talking about a uh, a COVID passport, right? Uh, who or COVID or any other um, pandemic that comes our way, because this is probably not the last that we'll see. Um, but for countries to um, be able to share information, um, that's a huge asset. Uh, and I think the world is moving in that direction. Um, I mean, you, you could see with just the plethora of information that was coming out of every uh, country that was experiencing um, COVID and how uh, there is a race to get a vaccine, right? So um, part of that race is being assisted by a wealth of information coming out of uh, labs, etc. And so to find uh, a way to share all that data uh, seamlessly, apolitically, if you will, um, is, uh, is something that I think blockchain can provide. And with that, when would change happen? I know it could take months or maybe a year to get the right decision maker. But once that right person is found, how soon could this technology be implemented? What sort of timeline are we looking at? On a purely tech basis, right? Assuming everyone bought in emotionally to this and said, this is a great solution, let's do it. Within a few months, we could have the entire globe online and cloud platforms scanning photos and removing them from the internet. The difficult part here really is building the consortium, is going from agency to agency. So I think what happens now is really you look for a leader, all right, who's going to take the first step and say, you know what, we're putting all our images on, on the blockchain and we want other countries to do it. You need someone to take a lead because, you know, with all due respect to me or the Hexa Foundation, no one knows who we are and nobody cares who we are. If something doesn't necessarily come from the top, then it's really hard to push it up from the bottom. But if, you know, the Department of Justice or Interpol says we have a solution that's going to help us lead a more effective global war against this filth. I think it's kind of like dominoes. Others will follow. And so my focus now is really on building relationships with key people in the right areas and kind of like a war of attrition. That's going to take time. It's going to take massaging. It's going to take more education. And so it's a lot of patience, basically.
it's also really investing um, the time and effort into um, key people that uh, you meet, that you know are doers, that, you know, whatever you need to do, even if it's not in their field, they're either going to help you do it or they'll help you find the right person in the relevant field um, that can help you. And why are these doers so important? What traits should anybody be on the lookout for? When I found the people who want to make change, then uh, they don't really care what the confines of their role are, right? Um, and they want to get the job done. Those have been the most effective people uh, in helping me that I've worked in government. There are people who uh, are there with a passion um, and they want to make the world a better place. Um, and, and those are the keepers, you know, those are the ones you, you want to hold on to. The pandemic has been a time of uh, great, great transition and great change. Has there been any sort of uh, new way of working, new habit that you picked up that sort of uh, changed how you work that you're going to be using in the long term? I wish I could tell you that I was like uber mom and amazing, multitasking and super efficient, but I cannot lie through my teeth. <laughs> um, I It's challenging. I have two little girls at home. I have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. Um, and, uh, I, if there's anything I've learned, uh, about my work is that I have to be super focused because I have a very small amount of time to do it. You know, I mean, Israel's been through its second quarantine. I've been working from home for months, really since February. So what I've learned to do is to, um, ignore all the noise, right? I know exactly which projects I need to get done. And those are the ones I focus on, you know, so I'd rather have, you know, two projects under my belt and focus 100% of my energy on that um, and know that at the end of the day, something's going to get done on them. Then, you know, then look at five things that we might be able to do, but none of the projects is going to benefit from my um, lack of attention span there. What's a book that uh, you think everyone should read? What's something you re really recommend? It's called The Bitcoin Standard. And the Bitcoin standard was the first book I read when I got into the industry, even just to understand what Bitcoin is and, and what uh, digital, digital money is. It tells you about, you know, the history of money from uh, the beginning of time. And I'd recommend it. And, and how will it help people who, who read that, you know, beyond just even sort of getting their base level on, uh, on Bitcoin? Well, it's going to help them understand how value has been um, transferred uh, from the beginning of time until now and how innovations uh, have been um, um, developed across uh, a timeline up until the point where now we have Bitcoin. Like, why did Bitcoin happen, right? Uh, how, how did this thing form? So understanding what money is and what it was to people um, and, and how it developed how currency developed over time, it kind of takes you through that process uh, until you get to today. And uh, to me, it helped me understand uh, the world that we call or the universe that we call cryptocurrencies. Say everything falls into place just as, as you've been planning, as you've been working on. Um, in, in 10 years, if everything goes right, um, what's, what's the before and the after? Definitely a better world than what we live in now. Definitely. Uh, it means that... Um, 90% of people using uh, the internet 
will uh, not be able to use it for evil um, unless they try really, 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 really hard. Um, and that, you know, we're talking about uh, child sexual exploitation imagery, but, you know, I can find other applications such as, you know, uh, terror imagery, right? If uh, children should not be watching other people being beheaded, humans shouldn't be watching other people being beheaded, right? Or, or, or terror propaganda videos. I can, you know, help remove those and help law enforcement remove those um, easily. So um, I, it has a lot of applications to help um, the people out there who are trying to um, fight uh, bad guys um, coordinate and work more efficiently and effectively. And I'm also very, very hopeful, really, that um, <clears throat> my dream will come true and that foreign aid and, and donations uh, will be traceable uh, and that um, there will be no more waste of um, government and or private funds. What happens the longer that progress isn't made? What does that look like? I mean, <clears throat> it kind of looks like now where people are efficient in their little bubbles, but they're not very efficient globally. Uh, and I think uh, that's a shame because the technology exists. It, it, it's not expensive and it can do good. So why not use it? That was Nata Korn. Before we go, don't forget to check out a special edition of the Great Reset podcast featuring jobs and the economy. Here's a sneak preview about how the COVID crisis has devastated women's employment and why a true recovery can't leave women behind. Each week, the Great Reset podcast looks at building a better, fairer, smarter world after COVID-19. And four special episodes feature daily coverage of our Jobs Reset Summit and interviews with top leaders on tackling global employment problems, including topics such as education and the economy. Here's UN Women Executive Director Fumzile Mulambu Guka on equity, inclusion, and how the pandemic has pulled women out of the labor market. The majority of the people who have lost jobs are women. The ILO estimates that uh, two-thirds of the jobs that will be lost and not recovered are women's jobs. She reminds us that if key steps aren't taken, some women might never return to the office. And we say that women can also work from home. We must not find a situation where it's only women who will end up working from home uh, because they have to do the home work as well as the office work in the home. So that uh, offices can just be in another locker room, the places where men only go. That's a highlight from our special four-part series on jobs and the economy from The Great Reset. Get that and all of our World Economic Forum podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and other top platforms. My thanks go out to Robin Pomeroy, Gareth Nolan, and Anna Bruce Lockhart for all their help in the production of this episode. Thanks, of course, also to Netta Corin, this week's guest. Thanks to you for listening. Please rate and review our podcasts. And for more extensive Q&As on our guests, go online at wef.ch podcasts. To follow us online, go to Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, and on Twitter using the handle WEF. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lacina at the World Economic Forum. Have a great day. <laughs>